Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Hello, my fellow travelers. Thanks so much for listening in. I've really appreciated all your support. If you would like to support me further, consider becoming a patron on my Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash morningsun underscore fellow traveler, or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I love you. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Another really cool guest, um, really cool guy who's also written a lot of cool books. Um, Keith Giles has joined us all the way. Where are you coming from? Uh, I am in El Paso, Texas. Tejas. Wow, you're in Texas. Yes. That's cool. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, El Paso, Texas. It's hot. Is it warm? <clears throat> well, today, um, like right now, it's 6 p.m. at night, and it's 54 degrees. So um, wow. it's been a little cooler than, late, uh, than normal lately. Uh, we've had some cool winds coming through. Yeah, we're supposed to get some big warm windstorm tomorrow or something. Yeah, a lot of but wind. Yeah, or, uh, I mean, ice storm. There's a lot of ice coming across yeah. the country. <laughs> yeah, and we do get snow and stuff like that here too, but rarely, not not as often as you guys do. Did you guys get like a big ice storm last year that kind of like destroyed a lot of stuff? <clears throat> we did have some snow. I don't think it destroyed anything. I mean, there might have been, I think there were, um, the rest of Texas might have, uh, yeah, because their power grid went down. But El Paso is as far west as you can get and still be in Texas. And actually we're so far to the west in El Paso that we are we are closer to the California border than we are to Dallas, Texas. So oh, cool. we're the extreme western end and we're kind of on the, if, if you can remember what Texas looks like on the farthest like left yeah, hand side. The big hat. There's a little, there's a little triangle that kind of points off mm-hmm. to the left. Yep, yep. We are in the tip of that triangle. So oh. we are way, way, way off. So you're like the at the of intersection Texas. of Mexico and what, New Mexico? Yes, we're right. Yes, we're at the intersection of uh, New Mexico and Mexico. So like Mexico is literally when I'm driving down the freeway, if I look to the left, I'm looking into Mexico. If I look to the right, I'm looking into El Paso. And then we're probably less than an hour away from uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico. So it's pretty Oh, close. wow. That's cool. Have you always lived in Texas? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not always, but... For okay. probably the most of my young life growing up. So I, I was born in Brownsville, Tennessee, a um, very small town in Tennessee. My mom and dad are both from Tennessee. They both um, are the only ones in their families that moved away from Tennessee. So mm-hmm. all of my dad's family, his sister, all of, you know, all of his sister's uh, kids, they all stayed there in Tennessee. And same thing with my mom. Her, she has a brother and like 
six sisters and all of them mm -hmm. stayed in the same little area in Tennessee. So we're the only ones that sort of went, went off away, moved away. And then we lived in Texas yeah. when I was like, like from second grade. Um, and then we got to El Paso when I was in junior high. And then, um, yeah, I lived here until I graduated high school. And then I went to college here, met my wife, Wendy here. Um, we both were going to UT El Paso. We were both part of the Baptist Student Union um, ministry on campus and part of the leadership oh, cool. there. And that's where I met my wife, Wendy. Oh, and nice. then, um, yeah, but right after we got married, I think we lived here maybe a year. Well, for you, for me, it was like a year after I graduated or so close to a year. And then Wendy graduated a semester after me. I got a job in California and then we ended up. So after she graduated, we both went to Southern California um, and we lived there 25 years. So that's where my, our, my kids are born uh, in California. And so both of them oh, wow. are California kids. And uh, now they both graduated college. And um, it's a lot so, cheaper yeah, in we, Texas. Just, we just came back to El Paso about three years ago. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. So Keith Giles is a author and and also a podcaster as well. Fellow podcaster. Yeah, and yeah. a fellow traveler. <laughs> yeah, I know he's busy. And um, so you've written the the Jesus Un series. What are all those books? The Undefeated was the most recent one, right? And then there was no, no, actually, um, oh. that's the. It's not the most recent, but it was the one on Undefeated. Was the one on the doctrine of hell. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I can run through them. So it's there's sure. seven of them. Um, there's Jesus seven Untangled. Uns? Yeah, wow. Jesus Untangled was the first one in the series. It we published it on the day Donald Trump was inaugurated. Uh, which was on was on purpose because it's all wow. about the dangers of faith and politics, you know. Mm. Um, and um, you know, the subtitle is "Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb." So, wow. Um, I just wish more people had read that book and taken it seriously because we might not be in the mess we are now. But, <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> oh well. Uh, but then the second the book was Jesus Unbound. That's liberating the Word of God from the Bible. It's really the, the way we approach the Scriptures. Mm. Uh, I actually recommend most people start with that book um, in the series because that that whole thing about how we approach scripture is such a foundational thing to oh, the yeah. rest of the deconstruction process and the rest of the mm -hmm. things I talk about in the other books. That if you don't, if you, you need a really strong grasp of what I, the way I describe it is approaching scripture, not as a flat Bible, but through sort of the lens of Christ. And if you yeah. understand that and you can do that, so many other, probably the majority of your questions will be answered. Um, sure. So, and then, so the third one was Jesus Unveiled. That's looking at the church. Uh, we did a house church for a while. So it's a little bit of our story as well uh, in our house church adventures uh, in that book. And <clears throat> if you're ever thinking about starting a house church, that book is pretty much, it's it's a how-to, how, -to, how oh, wow. to do it. It's um, it's pretty thorough. And the next one was, I think then the, the fourth one was Jesus Undefeated, the one about hell. Okay. The basically three doctrines of hell. Mm-hmm. Then I did Jesus Unexpected. That's about the second coming and all the end times oh. dispensational hype. Love to hear it. Wow. Um, and then it was Jesus Unarmed. Um, Nonviolence. That's the one about uh, following Jesus in a nonviolence. I think mm. that's all of them. I think I got them all. I wasn't counting. Was that that's that wasn't seven, though. <laughs> was it? Oh, you mean you've written seven in total, right? Seven total in the, in the Jesus Un series. I think that was only five untangled unbound unveiled, unveiled undefeated unexpected 
Oh, you're right. I did forget one. There's one on penal substitutionary atonement theory oh. uh, called Jesus Unforsaken. Yes. So that, oh, one came, yeah. that one came before Unarmed. Well, look at mm-hmm. that. I'm, I'm, I can't even keep my own book straight. No, um, it's okay. Yeah, and your most recent book is, which I'm really interested to get into tonight, is um, Solo Mysterium. Not that you wrote it. Any, I mean, we're like relatively recently, like last spring you released it, right? Yeah, no, the Solo Mystery is my most recent book, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of taken a different turn, but we'll talk about that um, in a little bit. Anyway, um, Keith, you also are a writer for Pathios, right? Yes, yep, I blog with Pathios. I've mm-hmm. been doing that for several years. I love those articles you've been pumping out lately. They're so good. Thank you. I know you've, I've probably seen my comments on them, but it's like, I, re- I, le- I read that one about um, Mary possibly being a slave in historical context. I'm like, holy cow, that changes a lot of things. Yes, doesn't it? Really neat. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, when I, and again, this isn't, it, it, it was based on something, an article I had read. And mm-hmm. then, but the more I read the article and then I started pondering it, like, well, for me, that's why I think my title, my article was like, what if Mary yeah. was uh, was a slave. I'm not even arguing that she absolutely was. No, but, but it seems it's to be really evidence. Fascinating. It's fascinating to ask the question and to say, well, based on some some potential clues that that it's possible. It wow! It really, it, you know, it just it creates all these things, you know, like possibilities, and then it mm-hmm. then it seems to even answer some other questions, you know, like oh yeah, why did Jesus wait until he was thirty? Because yeah, well, it could be because male slaves at the age of 30 were released and were emancipated. Well, that kind of fits. Um, mm. And so had to work too that, you know, well, you should be, your attitude should be like the same as Christ Jesus because he didn't equ- consider equality with God something to be grasped. He held himself and took the form of a slave. Well, wow. holy moly. Well, well like- then, <laughs> there you go. Like, so there's, there's at least a few little bits of evidence in the New Testament and, oh, for sure. you know, things in scripture to say, well, maybe, and again, I'm not, my article isn't trying to say absolutely, no. uh, but, it, but I just, those thought experiments are really helpful, I think, to mm-hmm. place ourselves in sort of the, the shoes of the people that lived at that time, to think about it in those contexts, and yeah, it's, it's a fascinating idea. It is crazy to think that, like, you had mentioned, really, most people were slaves, in those days like there was a lot of yes slavery was a very common thing that actually makes a lot of sense of paul's passages like why would he speak so ubiquitously about slaves because it's everybody's a slave you know yes they all got it (laughs) yeah i know what you're talking about it's not it's not to say that like oh slavery we should keep slavery as a structure of society it's just that it was you know yes this is the reality so now let's (laughs) talk about the gospel in that context because that was their context yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, really. And it just goes to show how Paul, like, um, he was creative in trying to fit the gospel into his social context and right. kind of teaching us how we can do that ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. And then also, tell me about choir. You acquired choir, right? <laughs> yes, that's you and what Matt. I put it. Yeah. <laughs> so choir is my publisher. Um, <clears throat> it started by Raphael Palindo, um, I think maybe seven years ago. Um, but I've only been with them about five years or so. Um, and it's been a wonderful experience. I mean, being, <clears throat> just being able to say, I have a publisher, you know, when I, when I published Jesus Untangled with choir, I was so excited and, and Ralph has been <clears throat> an amazing publisher. I mean, to be honest, like at that whole Jesus Un series that I just went over with you guys, um, two of those books in the series, I would never have written 
if Ralph had not basically told me, no, you got to write those books. So the one on hell, mm -hmm. I, I had no intention of writing one on hell. He was, he, he for a year, he, he stayed on me until I finally did it. And I'm so glad I did because it's probably one of the best selling ones. Um, and then the final one, Jesus Unarmed, I was done with Jesus Unforsaken. <laughs> I thought, no, nope, I'm done. Uh, I don't need to do any more. And he was like, no, Keith, you got to write your book about nonviolence. You know, I'm like, oh, really? Mm -hmm. nice. But I'm glad I did. So, you know, anyway, I, I had, he was such a creative support for me, uh, a wonderful sounding board for me. And it's just wonderful as a writer to just have that, that confidence that all I've got to do is write the book and hand it to my publisher and they'll do the rest. And, and that was such mm -hmm. a wonderful experience. But um, about six months ago, he, uh, Ralph came to me and Matthew DeStefano, who's also another author and a co-podcaster with me. Oh yeah. Um, and he said, Hey, um, I, I'm feeling like I need to step away from choir. Would you guys be willing to take it over? And so we were blown away. And so we said, yes. And uh, the last six months, we have been slowly easing our way into the our roles. So I'm doing I'm doing marketing and author relations. Matthew is doing, think, thankfully, all the stuff I don't want to do and would hate to do, which is all the production, setting up the internals, setting up the Kindle, setting up the audiobooks, do running the royalty reports, like all the technical spreadsheet stuff. Like, nope, I don't want to do any of that. But he wants to do that. So I'm like, good, look at that. That it works out great. Um, and so as of now, as of this recording, uh, it's all ours. So it's completely in our hands. We're running the whole day-to-day -day everything mm -hmm. and uh, super excited, man. I mean, yeah, we have so many great new books coming out from new authors um, and, and we're launching this brand new thing called Choir Classics, where we're taking some books that have been out of print or that are in public domain. And uh, we've been approaching some different, more well-known authors and uh, influencers to write the forwards to the books to kind of like and put a new cover and sort of reintroduce these books mm, to, cool. to people. Some of them are theological, some are philosophical, some are just literature. Um, but I think like, people can, are going to be blown away. Can you tell us any names? Sorry? Can you tell us any names? Oh, well. Is it secrets? It's not a secret so much as um, it's all so far, it's all verbal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I can't. Do can you have any ideas? I can tell you, you should, one. I'll tell you George one. George McDonald. This one is, is me. Uh, <laughs> so uh, one of the books I'm super excited about republishing is a book by Leo Tolstoy called The Kingdom of God is Within You. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But the first time I read that book, it blew my mind. I, was, I had to keep looking back to go, this thing was written in like the late 1800s. Like mm -hmm. what? You could put this thing out today and it's, it's as explosive and powerful and challenging as anything like you know, Shane Claiborne or Philip Yancey mm. or any of these guys have written like, it's, it's a bomb. It's so That's powerful. So cool. And um, so to be able to like, just personally have, that there would exist a copy of that book that said forward by Keith Giles <laughs> is very surreal and really exciting. So I'm doing that one. And um, Matthew is going to write one, um, a forward to one that's actually a Tolkien related uh, poetry thing. That's really, really cool too. So yeah, we're both pretty excited about those, but there are other authors that I can't name because they haven't turned it in yet and we haven't set a release date yet. But let's just say, if I were to say those names of the people we have approached and who have said yes, uh, you would know those names. You would probably want to have them on this podcast. Uh, and so it's it's a big, big deal. We everybody's Almost everyone we've gone to so far has said yes, which has been really exciting. That's super cool. So, well, 
let's get into your story. Um, the term I use on this podcast is spiritual heritage. So thinking about where is where do you find your spiritual roots? What did that look like? Were there any experiences in, in that that was like, hey, there's something real about this Jesus character. There's something real about what's going on. Yeah. Or or not. I mean, just tell me, uh, share as much as or as little as you want to. Um, but you oh, can, yeah. And then we can talk about where you are now. Okay. No, that's great. This is the, it's a great approach. Um, good question. So I guess for me, um, like my, when I was really young, back home, let's I'll go back when we, we still lived in, in Tennessee. So before we moved to Texas, um, I'm an only child. Oh, we lived in Brownsville, Tennessee. Um, I grew up around, you know, my cousins, my grandmother took care of me when mom and dad were at work. Uh, so I just ran around her little, my, my grandparents' little farm there in Tennessee and got into a lot of trouble, had a lot of fun. Um, but we didn't go to church. So I think I can remember one time where um, my neighbor, one of my friends who lived across the street from me, his name was Sean. His dad was like a, an associate pastor. And so I think there was one Sunday he was going to be preaching at a local Baptist church or something. And so they invited me to go with them. My parents didn't go. So I just went with them. And I remember sitting in the Sunday school. I was, I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of bored. I'd never been in the church before. Um, but that's it. You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't grow up reading the Bible. I didn't grow up going to church or any of that stuff in the beginning, early, early, early on. So like, again, from like kindergarten up to like second grade, that was like one time I went to church. And yet um, I always talked to God. You know what I mean? I mean, my parents would do the thing about, you know, tuck me in bed at night and, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. I mean, I did those other things, but they didn't talk about God any other time. But I just remember as a young kid, when my mom and dad left the room and shut my door, I remember laying in bed in the dark and I would just keep talking to God as a little kid. You know what I mean? Like, hey, God, you know, bless mom, bless dad, you know, let this work out, you know, whatever. I mean, I just had a little, and it was just like having a conversation with a friend. And, um, so I just have a memory of always doing that. And I remember we were still in Tennessee. I think I was maybe just starting second grade. My mom and dad had gotten separated and uh, my dad had moved out. He was staying in an apartment building. I remember all this stuff. I remember staying with my dad and watching, uh, staying in his little apartment with him and, and watching 20,000 Leagues Into the Sea on TV and you know eating pizza, whatever, to, with, with my dad. And you know, for me as a little kid, I, I didn't really understand why he moved out. I kind of wanted to move back in, but there were parts of it where they're like, well, we're hanging out. At least, you know, we have some time together. That was cool. Um, but I remember being, during that time, I remember um, they dropped me off at, it wasn't my grandmother. It was some other older lady that was taking care of me for some reason. And um, so she, we played for a little bit and this was after school. And then she goes, well, you need to take a nap. So she kind of put me in her room and shut the door. So I'm laying there on her big bed by myself. And and again, I don't know where this came from because I, I again, I've never, I'd only been to church one time again, but I'm laying there as a little kid. And I remember saying to God, God, if you will get my mom and dad back together, I will be a preacher. I'd only ever seen a preacher once. <laughs> I don't know why I even thought that that would be some kind of a negotiation that God would say, okay, yeah, do that. Well, here's the crazy thing. My mom and dad did get back together. And then we moved um, because they determined, I think part of the struggle in their marriage was my mom's family was just a little too close. 
uh, and my dad got transferred to Texas anyway. So it was like, okay, perfect timing. And we ended up moving to Texas. And, and when we were in Texas, then uh, we started going to, uh, I, I won't bore you with the details. We, we almost became Mormons. Thankfully we didn't, but then we, oh boy. Been, we visited a Methodist church for a little bit. That didn't work out because my dad figured out that the Methodist pastor, we were hanging out with them one, one night at their house and the Methodist pastor, my dad was asking questions about the Bible or something. And the, the pastor of the Methodist church was like, oh, I don't believe any of this stuff is real. And my dad was like, what? How can you be a pastor if you don't believe in God or any of that? So we left and we ended up at this place called the Free Will, uh, sorry, the Lighthouse Free Will Baptist Church. And uh, that was it for us. I mean, the music was amazing. My dad got to sing. I even started singing a little bit, um, made a lot of great friends. The pastor there was really wonderful. He was in North Carolina. And I think that, so, well, that's where I, I it, well, that's where it all clicked for me. I can remember asking my mom again, back in Tennessee, I remember standing in the kitchen with my mom. And for some reason, this was on my mind. I was like asking my mom, you know, what happens if after we die? And she goes, well, we go to heaven or if we're good, we go to heaven, we're bad, we go to hell. So again, my, they don't know anything. I, and I, I'm just a kid. I'm just asking questions. And then I said, well, how do we know that we can go to heaven? And she goes, I don't know. And I just burst into tears. And I was like, mom, we have to find out. I mean, I was so upset that she didn't know. How could she not know, right? So anyway, fast forward, we moved to Texas. We go to this Lighthouse Free Will Baptist Church. And it all, you know, it seemed all make sense. It was like, okay, this is it. And um, I remember they had, the, they had an altar call one Sunday morning. And I knew I, should, I needed to go forward to ask Jesus in my heart, but I couldn't do it. I was just a kid. I was too scared. And I just stood there shaking and my, my, my feet were nailed to the ground, man. I couldn't move. And then the song is over and everybody's, you know, getting, getting ready to leave and go get there, go to, you know, to the restaurant or whatever, or go home, whatever they're going to do. And I remember I grabbed my dad, my dad's hand. And I said, dad, can you go tell the pastor that I wanted to go up, but I couldn't. And that I was too scared or whatever. And my dad, God bless him. I love it. My dad says, no, I won't do that. And I was like, what? And he goes, but I'll go with you and you can tell him. So I think my dad, I, I appreciate that he understood that I needed to be the one, even as a little kid, that I still needed to be the one to tell the pastor that it was my decision, right? So I did. We walked up, you know, I did. I told him, blah, 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 prayed the prayer. And then me and my mom and my dad were all baptized together, which was like a beautiful mem um, you know, memory uh, uh, for us to share. So that was sort of the beginning for me and for my parents of like this whole Christianity thing. And, um, you know, for the most part, early on, it was wonderful because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't internalize any of that theology that I'm sure would have come later about you're a wretch and you're a worm and God, uh, you know, is disappointed with you and you're just disgusting. Like I didn't, I didn't internalize any of that. I, I still felt like I just had this confidence that now I had solidified a relationship with that God that I had been talking to all along. Uh, but now I had a name I could call that God, Jesus. Um, and I was confident that, you know, that everything was good between me and Jesus. And that was really the beginning uh, of the process for us. So how old were you at that time? Um, you know, I have it written down. I think I was, I want to say nine, probably nine years old around there. That's pretty neat that at such a young age, you just felt so drawn to God. 
Um, yeah. Even even not even it wasn't forced on you either. It was it seems like it was no. so natural. Just yeah. Yeah, and you and I were talking a minute ago, right, about how we're, we've learned that our experience isn't the same as everybody else's. And it took me years to figure out, because I just always have had this very natural conversational connection with God. I just never had any doubt that there was a God and all that, and, and have had even some spiritual experiences in my life. I talk about it in some of my books, you know, um, some pretty amazing ones that like, you know, I talk about in my Insula Mysterium, I tell a story about how I was in a band, a Christian band in college. We were playing um, Latuna, which is a federal penitentiary. And there was an honor camp outside of the penitentiary. Our band was setting up and I started walking down the road towards the fork in the road because the rest of the band members were coming and I wanted to wave them in so they wouldn't miss the turn. And I'm just kind of walking along the road. I'm just kind of, you know, kind of praying, oh God, um, Pray that everything goes well today, tonight at the at the concert, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just like a hand hit me in the chest. I just stopped it in my tracks. And it was like God just said, stop. And I was so I'm standing there in this in the middle of the road like an idiot. Like, well, why am I standing here? But I just knew I should not move. Um, and then in like a couple of minutes later, this truck comes around from the penitentiary, comes around, drives towards me. And then the chaplain who invited us jumps out and he's really angry. And he's like, what are you doing? So I tell him, I'm just walking down. He goes, he goes, you see that guard tower over there? So I look up and there's a guard tower. And he goes, there's a guy right now in that guard tower with your head in his scope. And he's on the radio asking for permission to fire because they did a bed check and there was someone missing. And so there was alarm on the inside, you know, trying to find this missing prisoner. And then from the guard tower, they see this guy walking out towards the exit, you know, like, well, maybe that's him. So I'm like, oh, that's probably why I was supposed to stop. <laughs> so it, it felt like a physical hand hitting you? Oh my gosh, it was like I hit a wall. <laughs> it was like just boom, like that. Did you like, try to keep moving and it just wouldn't move? I wasn't pushing against it, because but no. I just had this incredible sense immediately, like, stop. Holy cow. So it was like, boom, stop, like, okay, like but why? And I don't know, I felt stupid, but I didn't move. <laughs> I just felt like, well, whatever this is, I probably shouldn't move. Um, That's so cool. So anyway, but anyway, I've had lots of experiences like that. And I know I share those in some of my books and stuff. But then it took me a while to figure out that, you know what, for a lot of people, I've heard people flat out tell me, Keith, I've never heard God's voice. I have never, I've tried. I've never had an, uh, any kind of intense spiritual experience like that where I felt like God spoke to me or God revealed himself or something like that. And so, but I, I just assumed everybody, if you're a Christian, well, of course you do because I did. Right. And then I realized, Oh no, not everybody has that experience. So. Yeah. I mean, that's a big reason why I started this podcast was because number one, I'm, I'm interested in hearing other people's stories, um, especially within the, even just within the scope of Christianity, I'm willing even to, to talk to people outside of Christianity as well, but it really is so diverse. And like you said, you grow up, and you have, especially like if you have an experience with God, you're like, there's something about, um, you know, having experiences with God that almost puffs you up a little bit. It's like, oh, well, I'm special, you know. Um, but part well, of that, thing, though, I didn't feel special. I, I, no? I just thought, well, this isn't, no this isn't anything weird. Everybody has this, right? Oh, okay. It's the opposite for you. You <laughs> thought like everybody has these kind of experiences. But as I got older and started interacting with my friends who are like atheists or agnostic or just a religious. And I'm like, how, how do you not, do you, yeah. do you not just like go out for walks and talk to God, you know, like, and, and I feel the same way as you, like my whole life, as long as 
far back as I can remember, I just always felt connected to God. I don't yeah. know why, you know, it's a yeah. great, really great mystery to me. Because yeah. it amazes me when people live their whole, live their life and they're like, yeah, there's nothing out there, you know, right. it, um, not that, I don't know, it's just, it's just so fascinating. And that's why I like hearing people's stories. But part of why I like to hear people's stories too, is also to encourage others because, because everybody's experience is their experience, you know, it's, right. it's not Keith Giles' experience is his own, Peter's is his own. Yes. Um, yes. And everybody, and I think also it's important to highlight those mon- more more mundane experiences that yeah. you have, that everybody has. I mean, if, if the doctrine of the image of God is true, that we're creating God's image, and if it's true that God is in all things and um, created all things and by him, uh, in him all things live and move and have their being yeah then everybody is experiencing god all the time and and right. that's it's when you start thinking about it that way then it's like a totally different uh, framework to work with right yeah I, I, exactly that's exactly right mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah actually uh <clears throat> pardon me um it's funny because you, you i know you interviewed brad jerzak recently and um brad and i were talking about this uh this exact thing oh gosh probably like two years ago um, and <clears throat> he had a really fascinating take on that because he said, you know, um, a lot of times, I, and I agree with this, I think a lot of times people who say, oh, I've never heard God's voice, I've never had any kind of deep spiritual experiences like that or whatever, I think part of it is the language that we use. I think we set an expectation sometimes for people that when I like, for, for example, when I say, I mean, that example, the story I just told about the, the prison thing, that's extreme. Like, I don't have that every day, right? That was one time, and that was just so I wouldn't get shot and killed. Um, but, you know, but even just regular kind of things, you know, where I, where I might have an experience of something, and I would say, oh, I feel like God spoke to me, and blah, blah, blah. I don't mean I heard a voice, you know what I mean? It's like, um, it's just usually like a really strong impression or a strong feeling about something. And it's usually because I'm kind of open to it, you know, I'm like, I'm listening, I'm ready, I'm, I'm looking for something like that. And then, oh, okay, there it is. Um, so anyway, what Brad was saying was that he said, you know, for those who don't think they've ever heard God's voice or had any kind of spiritual experiences like this, you know, he says, well, just ask yourself, like, have you ever, if you're a Christian, have you ever like been reading the Bible and then something just jumps out at you you never saw before and you're like, oh my gosh, whoa, look at that. Well, that could be the Holy Spirit showing you something, right? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. So that counts. Um, have you ever been like walking out, you know, doing something and you see somebody, a total stranger, and you feel a, a strong urge, like, you know what, you should go talk to them, or you, you should give that guy $5 or whatever, right? That's the Holy Spirit, right? That Where'd that come from? Like, that just kind of came out of nowhere. That counts, right? That's God speaking to you. Um, you know, have you ever just been driving in your car or, or in your house, and you you suddenly think about someone you haven't thought about in a long, long time, a friend or somebody or an acquaintance, and like, man, I should call them and, and see how they're doing. And then you do, and you're like, oh, and they're like, oh, thank you for, I, you know, I, I need some help or encouragement or whatever. Well, that counts, right? You, what what popped them in your head? Why did you do that? Uh, there's all these kind of things that, and I can't even remember all that. He had like 11 different examples, or he just kept going through this list of things. And he's like, well, that counts. And and the, so it, bo- it boiled down to basically this. And it's just a wonderful encouragement. So anybody listening who feels like that's that's you, like you, I don't feel like God's ever spoke to me. It's like, okay, all of us, all day, we have voices going around in our head, right? Usually it's us, right? We're talking to ourselves. We're thinking things to ourselves. 
But sometimes at least one of those voices that, that might be running through your head on any given time, um, if that one, at least one of those voices is God. And you just have to figure out which, which one is God and which one's you, and which one's some crazy thought, right? But at least one of those voices that, that is kind of bouncing around um, as you're going through life, there's a good chance at least one of them is the Holy Spirit, you know? And it's just kind of like developing that ability to, to expect it and to look for it, you know? Because I, I, I do, I personally do feel like, again, everyone's experience is different, but I, I kind of do feel like encouraging people who feel like they've never heard God's voice that I think there are ways that you could. I feel like there are, that if you really pushed, pressed into it, and if you approached it maybe from a different direction, um, mm. that I think maybe you could, you know? But again, what were your expectation? It's not going to be... Yeah. God writing things in the sky, having dreams and visions and hearing voices like, you know, it's mm. not it's not like that. Yeah. I just bring it down to a little more normal level of just some really normal things you might be going through in your life, which which are, again, some of those examples that Brad was giving are like things that I think the average person could say, well, no, I, that's happened to me before. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, ha- I've thought about this person I haven't thought about in years and mm-hmm. shot him a note and found and out. Gave oh, the, yeah, gave they were, a phone call. And- <laughs> yeah, they were, they were in need. They were, you know, they were in trouble or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I hate Where'd that come yeah. from, right? I think one of the greatest riches of my spiritual heritage is that growing up in like a more charismatic Pentecostal background, we had that sensitivity to like, oh, what's the yes. spirit doing? And it's funny because it was also big about the Bible too. You know, uh-huh. there's a big emphasis on the Bible in in um, um, Pentecostal circles, but but also there's God still revealing things to people and individuals. So there's this openness there. That's really beautiful. Yes. That is a big difference. Yes. Mm. And that, see, I think that was actually really helpful for me um, as well, because I think, you know, we spent, I spent a long time in the early days. I mean, I was licensed and ordained Southern Baptist and all that, but even when I was a Southern Baptist, um, I never picked up from my pastors or my teachers, um, when we were involved in Southern Baptist circles, I never got this idea that like, that God won't speak to you. Like I never, I, you know, if, if they were, if they were like secessionists or whatever, um, or cessationists, um, they didn't, they never told me, they never, they never tried to convince me of it. So. Uh, Secession's a different thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. Not, not seceding from the union, but uh, cessation, like that the gifts had ceased. Right. Um, yeah. So I just never, I never got that feeling, so which is great because I, I again I was continuing to talk to God and have have a connection with God in a personal way, um, and so then when we when we went to more like the vineyard and charismatic kind of circles, um, yeah, that was just even more emphasized, right? So um, yeah, and getting to experience that, I, I experienced some crazy things, uh, and I'm sure you have too, growing up in, in that environment. But like I can remember the first time ever that an absolute total stranger had a word of knowledge for me that was, you know, we call it reading your mail. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like this person didn't know me. I'd never met this guy ever. The first time I ever laid eyes on this person, total stranger, walks up to me, lays hands on me, starts praying for me, and then says things like, oh, you know what? Um, God is saying that, that he, he heard you the other day when you asked him this question. And then he gave me the question. Like, no one was around when I said that. Like I thought it in wow. my head. I didn't say it out loud. So I'm like, well, the only one that knows this is me and God. 
That's why obviously God must be telling him because he knows that a couple of days ago I was in my car, I was talking to God and I asked God that question. And then he gazes and then God's answer is yes. And I, and I was just like, oh my gosh. So really when the cool. first time that ever happened to me, I was just stunned. You know, I mean, again, it's not that I didn't feel like God was real or God would speak mm-hmm. to me. I, I did experience that, but not like that. Right. Yeah. That was pretty amazing. It gives you a little boost in your oh faith and you're like, oh, wow, this is, there's something more real to this. Right. And then, and yeah. then later on, I had the experience of God gave me words for total strangers. And wow, really? That's cool. Oh, you never done that? That's never happened to me. No. Okay. So the first time it ever happened to me, we were in a little house church group. This guy was visiting. He was a, so a, a good friend of mine, we were, you were like, you're in, you in a band or you do music, right? So I was in a band with a friend um, for years in El Paso. And he and his wife had a new band. They were they were in town to play a concert, and and he and his wife and the band uh, kind of joined us for a house church meeting at my in my living room. And so everybody, we started praying for the band for my friends, right? And um, so my wife and another lady in the group, and they have more of like prophetic giftings, right? They're all like laying hands on all these people, and they're praying for them. And they're all getting these amazing words of knowledge for everybody, right? And I was like, and, 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 and so there's this guy named Josh, and he's the bass player. He's a real big guy. And uh, I'm standing behind Josh, and I got my hands on his back. I've never met Josh ever before this time, right? And first time I ever laid on this guy, Josh, at all. So I'm laying, I, I've got my hand on his, on his back. Every, I'm hearing everybody else praying for everybody else in the band. And they're getting all these great words of knowledge for these everybody else, their marriages and, you know, all these kind of things. And, um, and I just kind of say to myself, hey, God, give somebody a word for Josh. I feel like he's getting left out. And as soon as I said that, it was like God said, okay, here you go, boom. And, and this, it was like a weight, dude. It was, it was like I was holding a thousand pounds and I had this, this incredible weight and this, I knew exactly what I needed to say. And it was like, I couldn't not say it. It was like, if, if I don't open my mouth and say this, I'm, it's going to crush me, you know? So uh, it was what it was was actually a scripture verse. So as I've got my hand on his back, I, my Bible's next to me. I, I whip it open. I find the verse. And dude, I start to read it. But it was like every word, like I said, it sounds weird. But like every word weighed a thousand pounds. I couldn't just read it like da, 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 da. It was like one word at a time. It was just boom, boom. That's so Ooh. cool. It was like I had to slowly just kind of like let each word fall out of my mouth as I was reading this verse. And as I'm reading it, as I'm saying it, this guy, Josh, huge guy, like six foot tall, 250, 300 pounds. He just starts sobbing. And I don't mean, mm. I mean like loud, just yeah. falling. He is I've been there. <laughs> yeah, my hands on it. He's shaking. He's crying so mm. hard. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why these words mean anything to him but boy mm-hmm. they really do yeah and the you know i take I, it back oh yeah. sorry <laughs> i'll just I'll just were you finishing up. the story yeah, yeah let me just finish the story yeah yeah so, go for um it. so what it, what happened was the verse i felt compelled to read was when it's just real simple it seems like nothing jesus it's where jesus says suffer the little children to come unto me and he takes the child into his lap and says unless you become like you know little children you won't see the kingdom so I didn't think it was anything significant about that, although was just, I had this incredible sense that I needed to do this. And as I'm doing it, right, he starts crying. I don't know what's going on. He finally, he finishes, he kind of like, huh. And, you know, we're giving him tissues and he's wiping his face and he's covered in snot, all that stuff. Well, then he says, 
um, that a year ago, his youngest son, who was only probably like six or seven years old, um, and he had a couple of sons, but his youngest son, he said he, Saturday morning, he went in to wake up his kids and his youngest son was dead. He had just died in his sleep. Oh no. And he said, I have been so angry at God this whole time. And he goes, when you started reading those, those words, he said, I saw a picture in my mind of my son and he was running to Jesus and Jesus was oh. holding him and he was so happy. And he was like, <laughs> it was this beautiful healing moment for him. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm like, I didn't know any of that. Right. And so again, I got to be on the person that got to give this word to this guy. That was just That's so cool. Incredible thing. So, you know, that kind of stuff happens, man. And when yeah. you, no matter which end of it you're on, it's pretty cool when it happens. You know, I was going to say, because I said before, like, I'd never had that kind of experience where like, I felt like God gave me a word for someone else, but it's not true. And it's, I think this is kind of an important lesson too, because there's probably many times where God <laughs> has spoken through me and I didn't know it. Yes. You know what I mean? And yes. I think that's something that we have to need to recognize. Like, you know, in Matthew 25, when it says, when did I, when did I feed you? When did I clothe you? Yeah. When did I, yeah, I when did I house you? I don't remember that. You know, there's probably are plenty of times when God has spoken oh, yeah. through me and I didn't even know it. I didn't recognize it, but there was, but there was one noticeable time. I was at a retreat. <clears throat> I was about 21 years old in college. And we went to this, we used to go to this retreats in upstate New York at Camp Pinnacle called infusion and um it was one of the last days that we were there and it was just like you know when you're on retreats and you're young you get really into it like oh yeah and by the end time you're on fire like i'm gonna go back i'm gonna save the world yes. and then you go back and you you it all dies but a couple of days later you're back <laughs> yeah. whatever. whatever exactly so anyway we're we're having like worship and it's really cool um just like really powerful just presence of god is there but there's this one girl and she was just sitting on the floor with her head down and the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me like talk to her tell her tell her that I love her yeah and that and then I, I felt really awkward and I just went up to her and I'm like hey I just want you to let you know I feel like God's telling me that he wants you wants you to know that he loves you and then after that she stood up and she started just freely worshiping God like <laughs> she likes it was just she just needed to hear it you right, know right. so it was really cool that was I you know it's funny, I forget about those kind of experiences, but it's good to like think back and kind of take stock of oh, yeah. what has God done in your life. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's and so, cool. yeah, that's, it's always fun. It's, it's cool. I mean, I, I'm really blessed that I have from a young age, you know, I kind of, a lot of, some of this stuff was kind of natural for me on some level. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it's always great when God surprises you with things like that too. Yeah. So why don't you talk about a little bit how you, you went from South, Southern Baptist to where you are now which has been quite a journey you're yeah you're on left field now but that's okay yeah no just kidding oh well uh how did i go from where i well i think a so, big thing was um <clears throat> so there's two there were two big things in my journey that kind of ended up put, kind of put, propelling me in the direction that i am where i am now um we were we had planted a vineyard church with some friends of ours in, in southern california um, it was a good experience, but um, after about three and a half years of that, my wife Wendy and I, at the time, were feeling like God was calling us to to plant a church, and then um, we felt that then we realized we sort of said yes to that, like okay, God will do that, 
And then we realized that God was saying, well, I want you to start a church that gives everything away to the poor in the community. And we were like, what? I mean, we liked it. It was a good idea, but I just remember thinking, how is that going to work? That's impossible. How do you do that? So um, then we realized after some praying that the only way that would work is if I just went and got a job like everybody else. And um, we met in homes and you know people's living rooms, whatever. And then that way, all the offering we collect could go to help people living in poverty, which is, a, we were, that was a big deal for us. That was a big value for us. And so we did that. We did that for 11 years. Um, so when we, when we stepped out of the Vineyard Church and we started this house church, um, when we did that, we didn't go under any denominational covering. We weren't a vineyard. We weren't a Baptist. We, were, we weren't associated with anything. It was just some, some, well, sometimes uh, uh, there was a guy one time that called us, you're the miscellaneous Christians of Orange County. And I was like, yep, that's who we are. We're just a bunch of Christians who love Jesus who get together and talk about Jesus for hours and hours and, uh, and try to help people in our community. So we did that for 11 years and that was an amazing experience. But the process, because we... Because of the way we did it, um, because we weren't part of any denomination, and there was no like oversight, so over overseeing, you know, plant church planting, you know, body or something, um, it just gave us a whole lot of freedom to ask questions. Right, we weren't afraid to ask any questions, to explore things, and um, so that was a huge deal for us. And that was probably some of the beginnings of my deconstruction process. That's when I, that, that's right around then was when I started looking at the doctrine of hell and I changed my mind about eternal torment. Um, and, and now, and I left now where I'm like, I, I embrace uh, universal reconciliation. Um, and then, you know, just things like that slowly, I started looking at the Bible in a different way. Um, then I then I've been raised to look at the Bible. That was massive. That was a huge shift for me. And that unlocked a lot of things for me. Um, so that's, those, that's probably probably the most significant thing that we went through um but um yeah and then i started i've always been blogging and writing i started you know publishing my books and those kind of things too um and just continuing to be i I think the the key has been and i i emphasize this a lot in my latest book solo mysterium um i i really and, and the house church experience helped me with this too because in our house church, we valued differences of, of, of opinion. We didn't have a statement of faith. So we didn't tell people, you have to agree with this theology in order to be a part of our, fa- our church family. Our thing was just, do you love Jesus? And do you want to spend time getting to know Jesus and spending time with other people who just want to follow Jesus? Then you're in. If, that, if your idea of a good time is sitting down on a couch for like two and a half, three hours or more, and just focusing on Jesus, you're in. You're welcome. And, and so because of that, and because we all came from different streams, we some of us were conservative, some were liberal, some were progressive, some were uh, we were everything from Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, you know, all, all over the place, right? And we didn't argue about theology because we weren't there because of shared theology. We were there because of Jesus, and that was that was an amazing experience because what it taught me is we can have unity without agreement. Um, it taught me to value that different people are in, are on sort of different points in the curve. Uh, we're, uh, we used to say we're all in process. None of us has arrived. And so, you know, I might be in a certain place right now in my belief system. You might be ahead of me. You might be behind me. You might be next to me. It, but it, those things are okay. You know, I would have grace for you. Like if you believe something now that I used to believe five years ago, 
I'm not going to call you stupid because if I do, I'm calling myself stupid because five years ago, I believed it. And I'm, I don't think I'm stupid. So you, of course, you're not stupid either. You're just in a place that I used to be and I'm not anymore. And you know that's okay. All of that was fine. So that experience um, was really great. And so it, it taught me the value of not um, not being too quick to make up my mind about things, to uh, hold things loosely that I think that I believe, um, to listen to people who don't who don't agree with me. Um, that was the other beautiful thing about it because because our house church was like that and was and was structured that way. Um, if you think about it, most churches that try to gain unity by having a statement of faith where we all have to believe these doctrines in order to be a part of this, um, what that means is that. Um, I'm never going to be in a room with those people like that, if, if that's the terms. I'm never going to be in a room with anybody who challenges anything I say. You know what I mean? Like, so if I say something, everyone in that room is going to go nod their head and go, yeah, that's right, because that's part of this thing we all agree with. But if I don't have that, and I'm not saying, you know, uh, to sit here to be a part of this church family, you have to believe and agree with these different points of theology. Well, now when I say something, people can nod their head and go, oh, that's interesting. Well, but, you know, here's what I think, or here's how I look at it. And it's not an argument. It's not a debate. It's just sharing, everybody's sharing a slightly different perspective that I could learn from. How am I supposed to learn anything if no one ever challenges my ideas, right? Mm -hmm. if, no, if no one goes, well, that's interesting, but what about that? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it was this beautiful freedom to have those conversations and mm -hmm. uh, not get angry or personal, upset about it, you know? Um, so I think those things are, that's probably one of the major reasons why yeah. I've ended up in a place where, um, I, I, I'm working really hard not to let the cement dry mm -hmm. on, on what I believe and I'm trying to remain open mm -hmm. yeah. to the truth, you know, whatever. You know, I, I had an interesting thought today. Actually, I was taking a shower you never have those thoughts in the shower and it's just like, wow, yes. that came, that came from God. That's cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but anyway, this thought, I thought it was really neat just because it just, you know, I was thinking about the Bible and how we're supposed to understand it and apply it. And in light of the omnipotence of God, right? Because God's all knowing. Yeah. He, he knows what he's doing. So God being, you, you would think that God being omnipotent would make the Bible completely clear for everybody to understand with a universal meaning. Uh -huh. There's no discussion that has to be had. It's just like, it's clear. Uh -huh. You think that God being omnipotent would do that. Well, what do we do with the fact that the Bible isn't clear? It isn't universally understood. Does that mean God's not omnipotent? Well, no, I think, I think what it means is I have to change my idea of God's omnipotence. Yes. I think God being omnipotent made the Bible confusing so that <laughs> we would have to clash and go in community and have discussions and discourse and wrestle with God and yeah. wrestle with one another in order to find the gold that's hidden underneath all the haze, wood, and stubble, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's, um, and you and I have, uh, I think, a benefit coming from more of like a charismatic background in that I think we're used to holding scripture and experience equally. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you would say that, mm -hmm. but I, I kind of, that's kind of where I, I kind of came up with is like the Bible is important. I absolutely. Yeah. But um, my experiences of God are also important. And so it's not only the Bible. So I think for a lot of people, um, 
outside of the charismatic kind of framework in Christianity tend to pretty much, it's just the Bible. And, um, and so then they, so then they will argue about that, right? Like, oh no. And we figured it out. The Bible says this, and it only says this. And if you challenge us, well, you're just a heretic and you're wrong and you're a false teacher and blah, blah, blah. And the Bible clearly says, because, but the, like, but the Bible clearly says nothing really. And the Bible is not of one mind of almost on any topic. Um, and, and for me, and again, this may sound shocking, but this is kind of where I'm at uh, when, when I come to the Bible is that um, God didn't write the Bible. And I think if it, we have to just stop for a second and, and remind ourselves of that. And we know that's true. I mean, sometimes people get offended when I say that, that God didn't write the Bible. People did. Oh, that way, that's blasphemy. No, 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 no. Listen, open the Bible. What does it say? Who wrote First Corinthians? Does it say God? What's well, it, Paul? Right? Mm-hmm. Who who wrote yeah. uh, you know Genesis? Well, we think Moses did, right? Moses, not God. Moses, right? Who wrote who wrote the Psalms? Mostly David. Some of them are Solomon, but like these are people. Jo- who wrote Joshua? Joshua, right? Okay, so not God. People wrote it, and people I think were sharing in the Bible what we have as a collection of different people sharing their very real experiences of God. And as the best that they can, they're saying, this was my experience of God. This is how I encountered God. Um, And they're not trying to, I I don't even know that they're even trying to say my experience is the only experience is the only right experience. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like a lot of people think that like the Bible like Christianity only goes back 500 years. A lot of Protestants think that way. They yes. talk they talk about Calvin on the same level as Paul and Jesus oh, and yes. James. I'm like, no, they're very far removed from the first century. I don't think I can take them. Uh, I don't. I don't think I can trust them. You know, no. I can't trust Calvin and Luther as much as I can trust like Irenaeus or Athanasius yeah. or Polycarp or whatever. Yeah. You know, and um, oh, what was I gonna say? I lost my train of thought. I was thinking about, um, oh, do you think it's, like, this seems obvious, but like, what is, what is a, a Christian who hasn't experienced anything of God, you know? Yeah. Are, are they even anything? Is it, they're, they're functionally an atheist if they haven't experienced anything of God, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. You know what I mean? So when people put like you could read the Bible and understand it to the best of your ability, but never put it into practice and never, never experience God. Yeah. Um, then what are you even a Christian? You know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's why, yeah. yeah, similar. That's mm-hmm. a similar thing to um, that's a great train of thought. My friend, uh, his name is Gabriel Gordon and uh, he's a young guy like you. And we were having a conversation about it. He, he had a similar observation. I thought it was just so great. And what he said, it was in response to, it was in the context of a conversation about people who say, uh, again, people who have no experience, direct experience of God, right? Who will say, the only way anyone can know Jesus is through the Bible, right? And Gabriel said, if that was true, you're denying the resurrection. Because because what you're if you take that perspective, if you say the only way anyone can ever know anything about Jesus is by reading the Bible, you have just put Jesus on the same level as Abraham Lincoln or Ben Franklin or Napoleon or any human being who is now dead. Because if I want to know anything about Abraham Lincoln, as an example, he's dead. 
So the only way I could ever know anything about Lincoln is to read his, read his writings, read some of his speeches, maybe read biographies, people that were friends of his, you know, and, and, and that's the only way I'm going to know anything about Abraham Lincoln because he's dead. And if you act like the only way you can know Jesus is by reading the Bible, you are acting as if Jesus Christ is not resurrected. He's not alive right now, but he is. And if Christ is alive, you can absolutely know Christ without your Bible. Oh my gosh, how did Christians know Jesus from like the first century until like there was a Bible and you know the late in the three hundreds? There like was it was the Holy Spirit. My goodness, so, that's another point too. Um, <laughs> God being omnipotent would if He wanted us to rely wholly on sola scriptura, yeah. He would have made all the whole canon of Scripture available to the first yeah. century Christians. Right. But he didn't. <laughs> yes, you can't make it without this. Right, exactly. <laughs> then why yeah. didn't he, you know? Yeah. Um, well, gosh, you know, yeah, this is such a, this is such a, it's a touchy subject for so many Christians. Mm -hmm. But um, Of course. But uh, it's also this idea, I remember I was actually at a conference. Um, my, that I was, I was, I hadn't published the book Jesus Unbound yet, but it's the one I wrote about the Bible. And uh, at the conference, I talked about this idea about the Bible, how to approach the Bible this different way. Oh my gosh, people freaked out. There was another guy who spoke right after me who essentially denied the Trinity and he got he got an applause. Everybody thought it was great. I'm like, how, what? How? But I said something about the Bible and it was like everybody, they jumped on me like hornets. Mm. And the, for the whole weekend, man, they were just after me. So wow. I was like, that's weird. But yeah, don't touch the Bible, right? But um. But it's like I, I made an observation during that conference, I remember, or I said, you know, so again, that period of time from the first century to, let's say, Constantine, right? There was no, no one had a New Testament in their back pocket. No one had a Bible in their, in their hand or in their house. And yet, that's the time period where they say that the church turned the world upside down, that where the church had the most explosive growth. Well, they had the, so many, so many miracles, so many things happening, so many radical stories of transformation, the martyrdoms, like all that kind of stuff. Um, it was during the time frame there was no Bible, and what's funny is as soon as we had the Bible, that stuff started to drop off. You know what I mean? And I said, I wonder if it's because before there was this printed, you know, Bible that people had access to. They would just be going about their day, and the Holy Spirit would say, hey, Pete, call that guy. Go over here. Go talk to this person. And, you, and what would you do? You'd say, yes. Yes, Lord. I'm going to go do it. But after there's a Bible, now you have this sense, this feeling of God saying, go here. Do this. And you go, oh, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Let me, see, let me look it up. Is that in the Bible? Let me see. Oh, you know, I don't find that in the scripture. No, I guess I won't do that. Yeah. And I seriously think that's kind of where we are today is that so many people, like the Spirit of God, is always speaking, always talking, always like, and if you have made up your mind that the only way I am ever going to hear the voice of God is through my Bible, then mm -hmm. even when the Spirit of God does try to speak to you and, and ask you to do something, you're going to stop. And if it's, if God didn't say it 2000 years ago, I guess it's not, he's not talking to me today mm -hmm. because you're measuring, you are, you are measuring everything by what did God say to people 2000 years ago or more than that, 4,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're missing what God is trying to do right now today in your life and in your community and in your sphere. Um, to me, that's the danger uh, of just becoming yeah. so biblically focused that we're missing what God might want to do right now because it, Hey, believe it or not, it might look different than the first century. Exactly. Yeah. I guess that's a good segue into your book, uh, Solo Mysterium. What, what is it? 
I mean, uh, what's the general idea? I mean, obviously you're kind of playing off the solas, right? The five yes. solas, but yes. instead of saying sola scriptura, sola fide, sola whatever, yes. sola glory, <laughs> sola gloria deos, or is, I don't know, I don't speak Latin. Good thing I don't speak Latin because I like your title, Thank sola you. mysterium. Yes. Mm. yes. Tell me about it. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, when I finished writing that seven part series, um, <clears throat> I was kind of like, okay, now what? Like, what do I do next? So this really is the book. And it's really where I am personally. I mean, so myself having gone through um, my own deconstruction and, and I feel like I've, I've looked at and I've addressed all what I feel are the major questions that I think most Christians wrestle with, right? Um, the Bible, hell, the end times, second coming, uh, the, the cross, um, you know, nonviolence, all those kind of things, right? Okay, so I, I've done all that and now what? And where I am now and where I was when I wrote the book was um, is sort of like, okay, kind of going back to what I was saying before, reaching a place of saying, anytime, anytime we're talking about God, because that's what theology is, we're, we're talking about God. So theology is the discussion of this being, but we're, but if we're discussing a being, we're talking about a being who, by definition, is beyond, you know, transcends all human comprehension. We can't understand God. We never will. We, and not in this life, right? With, with these minds and this body, this limited body, like it's like trying to take this massive physics equation and, and you know, try to make it work in your little tiny pocket calculator. It's just going to go error, error. Like it won't, it doesn't compute, right? And so if, if we start at this place of saying, we want to talk about God, we want to think about God, we have to approach it from a place of humility by admitting that we can we cannot speak about God with any level of certainty because we don't even know, you know, we can't fully grasp and comprehend this being. And so we, we if we approach it with some humility, we admit that we're not talking about something we completely understand. Um, and we're talking about it when we should use language like I think, I believe, I hope, but never I know and I have this certainty, right? Because you don't. Um, and so what that does, I think, is what I recommend people uh, to do, especially as they're going through deconstruction, is what I say to them is, in all your deconstructing of your theology, I highly recommend you deconstruct your need to be right about everything. And this goes back to this thing about holding loosely to our beliefs, not letting the cement dry uh, on our beliefs. Because the minute you become certain, the minute you feel like, oh, God, God figured out, um, I have a quote in the book. I'm not a huge fan of St. Augustine, but uh, one thing he did say that I thought was wonderful was that um, if you think you've got God figured out, whatever it is, it's not God. And uh, I think he's right about that. So, you know, it, it just drive, it used to drive me crazy because I, I took philosophy classes in college and, um, and I love having deep conversations with people about theology and stuff like that. But it's so, I just noticed this trend what people will do is they'll say, theologians what they'll say is they'll acknowledge that god is this being higher and wider and longer and deeper the human mind cannot comprehend this god god is just beyond all understanding and then now let me explain god to you no you can't do that but that feels like that's what so much of theology is is acknowledging that god is this amazing being and then now let me tell you all about him because i've got him all figured out he's in this little box or he's in this book um and we've got him all figured out and but we don't so what i'm doing in solo mysterium is trying to help us move away from certainty, move into a deeper appreciation of the mystery of God, 
man, from the Old Testament through the New Testament, there's all this language and conversation about how God is, that is even his name is too wonderful for us, or that he's covered in these thick clouds of darkness, you know, that um, that God loves to conceal something so that we can search it out. You know, when Jesus says to his disciples, unless you become like little children, you cannot see the kingdom. Well, you know what I mean? Here's the thing about children. They're constantly asking why, why, why? It's, it's So I, I feel like we're missing that. We're missing the fact that we are called into this place of wonder and awe as we, as we approach God. Um, not as Pharisees, right, who have it all figured out. That's why Jesus says to the Pharisee, you must become a baby again. You need to start over from scratch, dude. Um, just go back to this place where you don't know anything. And now you're in the right place. Now, now, you can, now, now you can experience the kingdom because you're coming at it from a place of like, you don't have it figured out. You don't understand anything. And you're in a place of questioning and learning and growing and awe and wonder and mystery. Um, and then one of the, so one of, the, one of the pivotal things that I've noticed, um, and this was a huge thing for me, was, well, this is in contrast to Christianity as we have it today. So Christianity as we know it today, evangelical Christianity, is what I came out of. Um, it seems as if we act like, we act as if the gospel is all about having the right information about God. And so you have to have all your doctrines figured out, right? As if when you die, there's going to be some cosmic test or quiz to, yeah. pass to get into heaven, right? No, that's not I true. I hope it's multiple choice. I'm pretty good at those. <laughs> that's right. I hope so. <laughs> but no, but it's not, the, but that isn't true, right? The gospel is not about having the right information. It's not about information at all. It's about transformation. And, um, and so anyway, I, I came across this passage in the gospel of John and it's a little obscure. It's a place near the end of the gospel of John where Jesus is praying to the father. And he says, uh, he says, now this, so he's speaking, so it's Jesus speaking to the father in prayer, but this is what he says. He says, now this is eternal life that they would know you father and your son whom you have sent. Now, if the word no. So if we read that and we say, okay, wow, Jesus says eternal life is this, to know God. But he doesn't use the word know there in the sense of having information. It's not like having all the answers, having God figured out, having all the right theological you know, answers to that quiz. That word in the Greek would have been episteme, but he doesn't use episteme. So he's not saying eternal life is to have the right information about God. The word he uses is gnosko, and it's the Greek word for intimacy the same intimacy a husband has with his wife so a man would know his wife and she would conceive new life within her so it's a, actually a radical and shocking statement if you really if you translate it and read it again read it that way when jesus is saying this is eternal life to gnosko god to have an intimacy an int intimacy a, a deep emotional spiritual personal connection with God and with Christ, the kind of the same kind of connection that a husband has with his wife, and that that connection, that knowing, conceives this new life within you. That is what the gospel is about, not information, mm. transformation. And again, yeah. we only get to transformation if we abandon this need to be right about everything and have it all, all the theology figured out. We only get this gnosko, this transformation, by spending more time with God, knowing God in that way, mm. experiencing God in that way. And what I say in the book is that we need to become the kinds of Christians who are less capable of explaining 
what all of that is, all that connection with God, but we are more than capable of experiencing a connection with God mm. like that. And so that's what the book is really all about in a nutshell. That's so cool because I, I, on this podcast, I like, and in my conversations with people, I like to highlight experiences like, okay, you grew up in this, in this uh, tradition. What was it like? You know, what did you experience? I want to, yes. I don't, I don't really care that much about what they believe. What did you experience? You know? Yes. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, yeah, they have, I, I was interested to hear, um, oh, what I was going to say is, you know, the concept of the fellow traveler is this concept that a lot of times we see people in other camps or um, as enemies and yes. uh, we'll, we'll dig ourselves into doctrinal trenches and then see, <laughs> see each other as enemies. And I was like, how about we, what if we see each other as fellow travelers? on this spiritual walk rather than, you know, we might not agree. And if we did agree, that would be weird on everything. Like that'd be strange. Right. It would be better if we didn't agree about everything. Then, then we're having conversation. Then we're having community. Yes. Um, so, and that's beautiful. And I think we should celebrate that. And that's part of what I'm looking to do and also highlight people's experiences for my, honestly, a lot of it's selfish. I just, I like having these conversations and I, and I like being able to listen back to them too. Yeah. And, but also to encourage other people as well. I, I think there's, there's a, a pastoral concern inside my heart, even though I'm not a pastor I'm still involved with church. I'm still, I'm still consider myself evangelical, whatever that means anymore, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's just, it's the tradition I grew up in and I, and I think I need to stick with it and, and uh, almost speak prophetically to it, you know? So, yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah, what, what does that look like? The solo mysterium, what does it look like practically in, in experience or even in community? What does it look like? Yeah. What well, is church going to look like of the future? You know, I think this is, this is, I think this is the future, what you're getting into. Well, maybe, it's the future uh, of the church. Maybe. Well, uh, I, I think you're right about that, that it is, it is, um, it's experiential in the personal sense, but it also is intended to be in, done in community because so much, um, so much of the scriptures are about community. I think we miss the fact that there is this a communal aspect to so much of the gospels, to so much of Jesus' teachings. Um, like, for example, I, I used to always think about when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like, I, I, I swear, I used to just always think of that prayer, or like if I were to pray that prayer myself, I, I essentially would kind of think of it like, uh, you know, I'm praying to my father in heaven and I'm asking God for my daily bread, but he doesn't use that language. Jesus says to pray our father, to pray for our daily bread. So it's a community. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to come and pray and recognize that God is not just my father. He's everyone's father that I'm, I'm concerned, not just about my daily bread, but everybody's. I want everyone to have a daily bread, right? Um, I pray that everybody would experience the forgiveness and mercy of God, not just me. And so, um, yeah, that's such an, an important thing to recognize. So I think what it looks like, as you were saying, it, it is in community. Um, and, and we should be in community with people, uh, ideally community with people who don't, again, don't agree with us the, theologically, but it would, it would be helpful, I think, if everybody in that community, yeah, everyone's free to have their own doctrines and views and opinions and, and ideas about things. And, and that's healthy if we can share those things in, in a in a loving, you know, considerate way with each other. Uh, no one tries to prove that they're right or wrong. No one tries to win the argument. No one, no one tries to influence everybody to look like them and sound like them. 
Um, that can be done. You know, we did it for 11 years. Um, but to do that in such a way where, again, everyone is is free, f- has freedom to, to express that. Um, and so I think to the degree that everybody in that community, again, we don't agree, but we at least have sort of these ground rules that, that those things are okay. Um, and that we will love each other and support each other and accept each other without agreement. But we have, we have community and connection because what we have in common is Christ. Right. Um, so I think ideally it looks like that. I don't think it, I mean, it can be in a church context. Um, you know, again, we did, we had that for 11 years in our house church community. Um, we've since moved to another state and we have a similar community that's like that. It's on zoom that we have every Sunday. Um, and, you know, we, we'll say this is my church, but it's not a church, you know, <laughs> it's just Christians very similar to our house church experience where they're all people at different places in their journey. Some of them are post-Christian. Some of them are evangelical. Some of them are, some of them are in the middle of their deconstruction journey. Some are already done with that. Um, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't matter where they're at mm. in that process, right? They all know they're loved and valued. Um, they all have a voice to share. Mm. And um, I would hope that the future of Christianity looks like that. I, I, I've, I've started to slowly become aware of there are churches out there that do value that, that have started to shift away from sort of this, you have to agree with this, this statement of faith to be a part of this, but instead to say, it's okay to come with your questions and doubts, and we're not going to ask you and force you to agree with this or that. Um, and so I, I'm, I've become aware of a few handful of churches that are out there that are like that. Uh, I hope that their tribe increases. I hope that there'll be more of those in the future. And in some ways, I kind of feel like church needs to become more open to that and more to hold more loosely to those kind of things. Because if they don't, a lot of those people are going to leave. You know what I mean? If you don't create a safe environment for those people, if they don't feel like they're loved and valued for exactly who they are and where they're at in their journey, um, they're going to leave. And they're either going to leave and just stay home and watch TV, um, or they're going to find other communities. They're going to find other people that when they start to tell their story, those people start nodding their head and those people start going, yep, I know how you feel. Yes, I know what that's like. And um, so one way or the other, people are going to find those communities or create those communities, Yeah. Um, hopefully. And I think that's, mm-hmm. if there is a future for the church, I think it looks like that. I, there's a famous quote, I can't remember who said it, but something along the lines that if there is, if there is a future church, uh, they will all be mystics. And I think that's kind of what I was oh, saying. Oh, yeah. It's that experiential. I heard that too somewhere. I forget yeah, where I heard that. I, it's a very famous quote. I'm embarrassed. I uh, can't think of who. The future, yeah, the future of Christianity is like, and my, to my point earlier, is there such thing as a non-mystic Christian? Yeah. You know, can, can you, are you actually a Christian if you're not uh, experiencing <laughs> God? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, that, it, well, yeah. I, I uh, well, you and I are biased i guess you, yeah we're biased <laughs> we'll say, sure. so actually it's not as it's not as a famous person as i thought it was a guy named it's a jesuit theologian named carl rayner really he said and what he said was oh yeah rayner what he said was the christian of the future will be a mystic or will not exist at all ah that's, and i think he's right yeah i think he's yeah. right i think that's why like yeah we have to we have to um validate people in their experience the yeah. experiences of God for sure and not invalidate them yeah I agree but yeah and, and then like on a per on just like a day-to-day personal level what is what does solo mysterium look like you know yeah. uh, just yeah, in great. practice 
Yeah, great question. Um, and here's the thing. There is no one answer for everybody, right? That's so true. I think yeah. everybody, I, I do these things. I started this thing called Square One um, about three and a half years ago, four years ago, um, where I help people get walk through their deconstruction process into their reconstruction <laughs> process. And That's cool. Um, and so as part of that, what I've learned is that everybody's experience is different. Everybody has to figure out for themselves what that looks like, right? And so we don't, we, we have to, again, kind of on that same idea, allow people to just work out their process for themselves and be where they are at and, and have that be okay. So, mm-hmm. so I, I'll tell you what it is for me, but I, I don't say it to say, this is the way everybody has it's not to prescriptive, but just yeah, like, no, exactly. exactly. Tell us your, <laughs> tell us what, what does Keith Giles do? Right. <laughs> so I guess for me, I just, I just maintain that same level of uh, conversational connection with God that I had when I was a little kid laying in my bed, in my bunk bed, uh, you know, uh, at like five years old or whatever, and just talk to God and just have that, have that open, uh, natural conversation with God on a regular basis. Um, I've started spending a lot more time in intentional um, silence and meditation. And that's been wonderful. Oh my gosh. The, the main thing for the main thing that does for me, the meditation part and the silence part, I call it my Jesus time. Um, because just by sitting silently, sometimes my wife and I will do this together. But um, but just having that moment, th- that time of like sitting in silence, and it's all of a sudden, it's like everything else fades away. And it's not like, because sometimes in charismatic circles, we will say things like, we'll use language like, Holy Spirit come, you know, Jesus come. And uh, I remember one time someone said, you know, you don't have to invite somebody into their own house. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Why do we do this? If, 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 if Christ is within me, if Christ, if the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling me, I don't want to invite him to come. It's he already, That's his home. He lives here. But, so what it is, is more of slowing down and stopping and being quiet and being still and just re- recognizing that Christ is here and always has been, right? I, I've been busy. I've been distracted. I've been doing other things. And I have forgotten that. I have lost sight of that, of this indwelling presence of Christ. So the, the silence and the meditation just helps me just kind of go, oh, yeah, there, there he is. There you, you know, Lord, there you are. Thank you. And uh, just kind of like reconnects me. Not, doesn't reconnect. I'm not disconnected. It's just my awareness is kind of lining, aligning with that reality. Yeah, right. So um, those things are really important for me. And then I, I have found that I, I meet God, or God meets me, or that I experience God in many different ways. And this is part of what we do in Square One is to help people identify what those things are. So for me, it's conversations with people like this right? Where in these conversations, someone will say something and it's like, oh, that wasn't just them. That was the Holy Spirit. There you go. That, that was God. Uh, that was God speaking to me through that person, right? I love movies. So, so a lot of times I'll be watching a movie and there'll be a scene or a line. And it'll be like, oof, whoa, there, that was it. That was good. Um, sometimes it's reading, uh, you know, like for my wife, Wendy, for her, it's gardening, she, she has incredible experiences with God as she's gardening. That's so cool. Um, I take walks around the neighborhood. And so mm. a lot of times just in music walk, is a great way. Music. Yes. Music is a mystical experience for me. I mean, yeah. as a songwriter, when I'm playing my guitar, sometimes it feels like God's like oh, yeah. trying to write a song with you. It's really cool. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I used to write songs too. And so I've, I've had that experience too, where, you know, the, if you, if you start with music, then sometimes the words just kind of come out of nowhere. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like, where is this coming from? But boom, exactly, they, yeah. they come these words and they're like, it's almost writing itself. And it's this mm-hmm. really beautiful thing. Um, 
so yeah, and as a writer, I've done that too, where I just sit, will write and I'll start writing and then, well, things come out. And that happens as well for me as a writer. When I sit down to write my books, I have a general idea of what I want to say. But as I'm in the process of writing, it's almost like I kind of get in this zone and all of a sudden, like I'm writing things, uh, you know, as I'm typing, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. Where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those are just experiences that we have. And um, I, I, I uh, we, we have a whole week in square one where, I have people sort of try out and experiment with different things to see what works for them and what doesn't to help people kind of zone in on or focus in on what are those things that connect them, that make them feel connected to God. Uh, what's mm. the most natural thing for them. And so, yeah, those are some of the things that work for me and there's just different things that work for, for different people as well. But once you know what those things are, um, the, it's different than practicing them like, like a discipline. I used to be, I used to be really mm-hmm. into like spiritual disciplines when I was younger, but, but those spiritual disciplines felt very forced. contrived and forced to me. Yeah. Um, rather than just saying like, I just have noticed that when I do this naturally there, you know, God, I feel an instant connection with God. And so, you know, just recognizing what those things are and, mm. and not, not doing them as a chore. Cause then I think you've missed the point. But just doing them because, hey, I love doing this. And when I'm, and by the way, when I'm doing it, I feel like God is right there with me. Uh, you know what's funny about all this is that um, none of what you're saying is that crazy or wild. No, it you isn't. Know? <laughs> it really none isn't. of what you're, it's really not that outside of the bounds of no. Christianity at all. In fact, you can find precedent for all of this within Christianity. Oh, and, yeah. But people still get, when I was growing up, I was discouraged from the reading the mystics. I was discouraged from even Thomas Aquinas. I wasn't discouraged because he's Catholic and and Uh, we're not supposed to like Catholics, you know? Um, (laughs) Well, here's the funny thing. Almost all of those mystics are Catholics. Exactly. Pre-Protestant Reformation, right? So St. Francis of Assisi and the Desert Fathers, the Desert Mm -hmm. Mothers, like, yeah. And here's what's so funny though about, and you're totally right. All this Christian mysticism, it's its a huge part of our Christian heritage. Yeah, um, sure. And what's funny is, so sometimes Christians who are like kind of afraid of that mystical stuff, but they love reading the books. So they'll read the writings of, you know, uh, St. Teresa of Avila or, or, or whoever, you know, or, or St. And they'll read it and they go, oh, oh Julian of Norwich. Yeah, Julian of Norwich, right. So they, they love reading those things as a devotional kind of, and they'll read it and go, oh, man what deep spiritual insight this person had and what they are missing is yes. And if you would spend time meditating and in silence or in, in connection mm-hmm. with God, you could probably write something just like that because, but it would be your actual experience. Mm, not exactly. Somebody's experience from hundreds <laughs> of years ago. Yeah, exactly. It, like Julian of Norwich and most mystics were nobodies. Yes, they were absolutely. just there. Most of them were peasants. Yes. Poor, nobody's right julian norwich was literally on her deathbed with the plague and the and the priest held the cross up to her and she went into it and she fell away went into a trance and went and she had an auto body of experience and she was at the crucifixion it's so cool i have have her um there's a new translation of her um showings that she wrote about um that i just bought and it's really oh it's so cool that's awesome so keith well, before we close, there's one thing that I think is really interesting. Um, and this kind of, um, this kind of is related to um, the, the future of the church. 
yeah. in a lot of ways because this is this is this discussion has a lot to do with the future of the church but you have a debate coming up with james white am yes. i right yes i do and you guys are going to be talking about uh the definition of biblical marriage yeah wow yes not and, controversial uh, at all no no not at all <laughs> um but i tell you what i'm 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 ready <laughs> are you I'm ready, ready to- a lot of people are you ready are like, for straw mans and ad hominem attacks oh yeah well uh i'll be i'll, I'll be prepared but yeah uh, don't take it to heart don't take no, it personally no no you yeah if anybody's ever watched a, a, a james white debate you know <laughs> people have told me he is such a jerk i'm like yeah, oh he can be, yeah he can be condescending and, oh my uh, goodness yeah but I'm ready for that. I know you know, that. you're used to it, though, because yeah. I, I watched your debate with Chris Dates, and I was oh, just like, oh, gosh. gee. Ugh. I was yeah. so frustrated that whole time. I was like, yeah. come on, shut up. <laughs> I, so I got to say about that one, the yeah. Chris Dates debate. Um, I love him. I, God bless him. But Yeah, I do, too. I really do. I honestly have <laughs> yeah, nothing. Yeah. I love him. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. That's why, I, that's why I agreed to do the debate. Yeah. But, um, but the way it was communicated to me prior to the debate Mm-hmm. was that it wasn't a debate what oh, we said man. was it's just going to be a conversation we're just yeah. going to have a conversation and we're going to talk about it and and this guy who was hosting it the on his show right um he would just sort of ask us questions and it would be a conversation so i did not prepare for a debate oh my goodness you were just but there for a conversation did. yeah so he shows up and he's got boom 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 and he's got his powerpoints oh yeah and i'm like what this is not what I was invited to. I just thought we were having a conversation. You were in, it was a it was a guerrilla warfare. It was an ambush. It, I, I kind of <laughs> felt that way, but I tried well, did, to be nice anyway and just laugh and whatever. Did you know, Keith, that you don't believe in the resurrection? And if you're a universalist, you don't believe in the resurrection, so you're not a Christian. Oh, dude, and yeah, he he, <laughs> he took it in this totally different direction. I'm like, why are we why are we fixated on this one little verse? I never. You were like, yeah, I never denied the resurrection. <laughs> I don't, I was like, what are you saying? Oh yeah. I was so frustrated by that. I, I, I listened to the whole thing and I'm just like, oh man, that's something else. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to bring it up just cause I think it's funny to talk about, yeah. but yeah. How do you feel about the, the, this debate coming up? Yeah. Like I said, I, I, I feel pretty good about it. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm still in my debate prep. I have like, mm-hmm. a, I have just about a, um, a month before the debate. Um, and so Mm-hmm. By the way, I also say I'm, I'm getting a lot of help from some amazing people. So David Bentley Hart has sent me a couple of things. Um, oh, cool. Dr. Jennifer Bird, she is phenomenal. She's actually writing a book on this topic right now, and she has pretty much been sending me her book mm. as she's writing it in PDFs. And I think I might have heard her on the Bible for Normal People, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. She is the one. If you, if she's the one that had a thing about the the disciple Jesus loved and whether that was uh, a male, oh. like. Um, love slave or something interesting yeah it was it was kind of crazy but um, not controversial but she's uh she's amazing and so she's been super gracious to me my mm. friend matt DeStefano's helped me some other people have been sending me some really great stuff my son actually my son david sent really? me a really amazing uh youtube clip on this topic that i mean there were two major things i did not know and then i, I watched this and i was like "Ooh, oh i gotta use that for the debate mm. So I've got my arguments together. I feel really strong about my position. I'm not, um, but I'm not going to meet James White on his terms. So no. this is why I kind of feel uh, pretty confident because I know I, I've already watched, I've watched like two or three debates that he's done on mm-hmm. this exact topic yeah. with other people. So I know his arguments. I know his counters. I know mm-hmm. what he comes back with. I know what, I know what he's basing his arguments on. 
Um, and so I know how to, I, I'm, I'm prepared yeah. for how to do that, but I'm just going to take a completely different uh, approach than I think most people have taken yeah. because I'm not going to meet him. I'm not going to do sword battles, you know, scripture battles with him. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he'll give yeah. you the scripture. I'll give a different perspective of that scripture. He's but, not going to agree but, with but it. For the most part, what I'm going to do is just offer a completely different perspective of looking at the Bible, of mm-hmm. approaching the scripture, um, you know, uh, from more of a, just from a different angle. And so I'm, I'm, I feel pretty confident in that. And, the, you know, the main reason to do a debate like this uh, for me, like what's in it for me, why would I do this? Um, cause again, I know I'm the chump in this equation. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the chip, you know, like, Hey, you're, the, thing you're the scapegoat. Yeah. Our, yeah. We have Rocky Balboa and <laughs> some Joe, nobody who wants to be stupid enough to fight him. Right. Yeah. So, um, but for me, what's in it for me is I get a chance to stand up in front of Dr. James White's crowd, his audience, people that agree with him who think he's right. And are really, they're just there to cheer him on and watch him, you know, basically knock me silly. Yeah. But I will get to show them things and say things to them and, and have them think about things that I, things I know James White would never say to them. Mm-hmm. Things I know their pastors will never show them, never say to them, never get them to think about. And that is, that's the value for me. I'm just excited about that. And so for me, if I can stand up and I can do that, I can, I can present some things that I know they've never heard before, um, suggest some things that I know they haven't thought about before, present some of these verses that they think you know, Dr. White has them all sewed up and say, well, here's a different way to think of it. I know you haven't thought about it. Here's another way to think about it. Mm. If I can do that, mission accomplished. I, yeah. I can walk out and be happy. And I don't care who they think won or not, who didn't win. That That's not the point for me. Mm. I just want to be able to present this information and have an opportunity to say these things to those people. Well, I definitely look forward to it. Um, it's funny, like for me, I'm still in this deconstruction process and for me with this topic i'm i just find myself to be rather agnostic because i like i've heard all the arguments i'm listening to all the arguments and it's like I, you know i just don't know where to land on this yet and i think it's it's hard because it's not a one size fit all like everybody every gay person's experience is completely different than the other gay person's experience right. so it's like you know there's some there's some gay people who are feel called to celibacy and some gay people yes. who feel called to uh, traditional marriage or some yeah. that feel called to uh, same-sex marriage or yeah. you know and then obviously you know people who aren't christians well you can't really place <laughs> you can't really place judgment on them because they're not yeah, trying they're not, they're, anyway. they're not yeah they're not trying to be christian so it's like it's interesting it, but this is the future of the church and, and i think we have to have a lot of charity for yeah. multiple views for sure yeah i, I would agree i think if if yeah. If nothing else, you know, um, I, I heard someone say this. It was a quote I heard the other day. Someone say it was something along the lines of, and I think it was in the context of this subject that, um, you know, since some of these things are debatable and they are confusing and kind of gray, that um, this person was saying that when I die, I want to stand before God and say that I was as loving and kind and gentle with his children as I could be, not as angry and judgmental and, and right. you know, um, especially on something like this, where there was gray areas and it wasn't clear about everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so it basically err on the side of, of, uh, compassion and love and understanding. And uh, I think that's good yeah. advice. I think it is really, it's really interesting that Jesus, um, obviously Jesus never mentions anything about it, but I think it just, 
the first century drew it wasn't on his mind it wasn't even on the radar you know and but then when he talks about marriage he's in the context of divorce but we seem to be totally fine with divorce and remarriage today yeah even even when there is no uh adultery involved you know that's right so it's like i don't know at the end of the day we're all picking and choosing yeah yeah so actually that's an interesting point notice that this debate i'm having with dr james white in houston texas at this church on february the 8th is not a debate on what is biblical divorce yeah no no one's going to show up and listen I think you should use that as a counterpoint, though. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I should pretend that that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm so excited to. Uh, I'm so excited to be here today and debate uh, the, the biblical def- definition of divorce. All the divorce. Oh, I'm sorry. Men. I'm sorry. Marriage. All the divorce people in the crowd. <laughs> Just hiding. Like for a second, like. <gasps> right. Yeah. yeah well, divorce I, I, was something he actually talked about. Yeah. Homosexuality. Never said a word about it. Yeah. And we seem to say we seem to give a lot of charity on that oh, topic. Yes. You oh, know, I'm sure. Sh- yeah yeah and the truth is yeah i know it's it's tough it's it's difficult topic but as as time goes on things i think things the church is going to figure it out you know it's not i hope it's not gonna i think so if not then figure out slavery um we we had to actually kill a whole bunch of our own you know brothers and sisters and neighbors Mm -hmm. to work that out but we eventually reached the point and again that's i think slavery is a a good example because um the church eventually did change its mind on slavery, not because there was some biblical text that, oh my gosh, we've done, we've done exegesis and we figured out that it, uh, the Bible actually condemns slavery. No, mm-hmm. the Bible actually still says slavery is great and doesn't condemn it. But yet Christians have suddenly now found a way to, to think about that outside of the Bible says and, and recognize the humanity of other people, other human beings, and say, you know what? The humanity of other people uh, supersedes any any you know perceived uh, teaching or uh, you know that slavery is okay. So yeah. we 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 can do it. We have done it. We, we're just at a place now where we're we're just kind of going around the whole thing again, and we have to relearn that lesson. I think. Yeah, and I, I kind of like um, Brian Zond's church because he talks about it, he he talks about it kind of similar to me that like. I'm not going to make a statement about something that I don't have all the knowledge about and, right. and ultimately, but I'm going to give grace and charity for those who are on the progressive side, for those who are on the traditional side yeah. to let's just be a community and let's do life together regardless. Yeah, let's go. be fellow yeah. travelers. <laughs> I like that. Yep. Well, Keith, so thank you so much for joining me. I hope I didn't take too much of your time. Not at all, man. This was uh, great. Awesome. Uh, Excellent. Enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Lord, Lord, the nature of your wrath It's not an easy path But I'm willing to trust Though I'm dying in the dust